0: ISP is proudly supported by BCW Supplies. Yeah, all my cards, they fit snugly into a perfect flit and then we slide them right into an Elite 2 sleeve. Those cards, hey, well, they're resting easy and protected in my Deck Vault 100. Ooh, it's a nice one. Well, all of my spiciest gems, well, they're on display in my Z Folio LX. Yeah, you could treat your collection with love by going to bcwsupplies.com. Use the code ISP10. Get 10% off all of your orders. Oh, yeah. And, uh, hey, maybe cards might not be your only thing. Are you into coins, comics? Maybe you want to show off your record collection? They've got you covered. Use the code ISP10 at checkout for 10% off your BCW Supplies purchases. BCW Supplies. Protect. Store. Display. Hello, this is Az from Go Again Gaming, and you're listening to the Instant Speed Podcast. This is the Instant Speed Podcast, episode number 78. Our guest today is none other than. Brendan Patrick, yes, former pro, casting analyst extraordinaire, got his hands in so many cookie jars when it comes to the card gaming. We're going to talk to him, of course. This episode brought to you by Kfabe Cards. Go to KayfabeCards.com. Telling you, it's where you got to be. All right, the facts, friends. Let's get to those as uh, we're approaching the Pro Tour which is uh, merely a few weeks away. So you wanna get uh, geared up for that. And the way to do that is by knowing that the drafting at the Pro Tour, yeah, the print runs, the different collations and and how those uh, packs are gonna be seeded, Japanese print, Belgian print, it matters. Well, LSS released an article saying that, hey, we've got a solution. But we ain't gonna tell you, so figure it out. That's what's out there, lots of articles actually on fabtcg.com. Oh, I don't know, like this one, what to expect at Pro Tour? I just wrote an article, can you believe it? Yes. I am literate. That has been confirmed. There's an article out there on TCG that talks about, um, you know, what to expect uh, regarding draft, the significance of it, what heroes that I believe are going to have a significant representation, who the dark horses are, who to look out for, and who's on the decline, as well as talking a little bit about the significance of the community element. So you can go check that out, as well as, hey, another article from uh, uh, TCG that's focusing more on the collector aspect, such as the drop rate of gold foils and they're so finite they have basically locked and loaded and said here's how many common gold foils un- uh, sorry common rare majestic legendary as well as full art legendaries there's a finite amount and they also release numbers in terms of what's in circulation and how many are left to be given out so gold foil value in my estimation is probably going to take a little bit of a hike and it's probably going to go up because you now know that there is a finite amount, and it's not a finite amount of like, oh, there's a few hundred of these. It's like 40, so. Collectors, uh, there's been a series of different articles on FabTCG regarding collecting. Uh, great people in the community like St. Hung and such are that are been talking about collecting. So you do want to go to FabTCG.com, check out the articles regarding the gold foil distribution and allocations, as well as just collecting in general. Some really cool stuff for you guys to check out. Oh, over there now this week we do have brendan patrick and we talk about uh, you know his fab fitness challenge what will it take for him to get back from casting to playing competitively we also discuss the significance and the importance of team-based play especially with the draft situation that's going to happen at pro tour and we talk into flesh and blood as a top four card game in the world we dig into the numbers and we talk about what does that mean and where does flesh and blood go from here all this on isp this episode of instant speed podcast is brought to you by Kfabe cards located in utah Kfabe cards is a smart choice for all of your flesh and blood needs prepare for the battles you'll face through the world of wraith by gearing up at kayfabe cards Dot com. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E-C-A-R-D-S dot com and get all of the cards shipped directly to your door. Hey, if Magic or Pokemon is your jam, they've got you covered. K-Fabe Cards has a plethora of TCG options, sealed products, and singles to keep you collecting and keep you competitive. Fabe Cards, be who you want to be this is the instant speed podcast and we are welcoming hold on i wrote this out for you just for you because mm. i love you so much uh welcomes a consistently evolving soul mm. in the card game landscape do you like that one that i mean that's just the first line okay okay right. okay i dug deep into my liberal arts history educational history Um, uh, firmly entrenched in the tcg culture he is the co-host of arsenal pass as well as the snapshot podcast and the greatest podcast of all time, Podcan. Hmm. Do you know about
1: that? Off the, off the back of some rules releases, which was uh, – we are pretty much right all across the board. I do want to apologize to anybody listening – actually, not anybody listening. Anybody watching, I am on the run right now. So as you can see, my accommodations are a bit draconic, um, but you know. We'll get something up there, a little little frame eventually.
0: Yeah. Are you like in the unibomber's shed right now or have you located yourself somewhere else?
1: Popping safe house to safe house. It's been uh it's been a tough time. Like, it's been a
0: tough uh, time. I'm not even done your intro. Like this is how much I appreciate you. Uh a, f- a former pro. And current mm. casting analyst. He will be at the desk at the Pro Tour Baltimore in a few short weeks. But welcome back to ISP Brendan Patrick
1: mm-hmm. on well, the run. Speaking of former pro, we were we were in a meeting with SCG today, Mia Flake and others, and they put up a little a little screen, a little graphic that showed the the top eight graphic and it had the prizes on there and said fifty thousand dollars first place and I was like what the fuck am I doing casting this tournament because right a lot of money. <laughs> That's a lot of money. You you need
0: to work something like 15 events to get to mm-hmm. get that. Like and we're Sounds getting pretty like, good. I mean uh, 50 grand is one hell of a, a chunk of change man like it, it's nuts how much uh this tournament is going to be worth and we'll we'll dig mm. into that uh, just a little bit but what i want to ask you first of all um you're on the run so at least you're getting your cardio in is what you're saying mm. but the fab mm. fitness challenge that you put up last year is that
1: coming back i think so Um, depends what people want to do. I think that, uh, generally like a holistic sort of very broad, uh, fitness challenge is the way to go rather than like a specific, a more specific one. But yeah, I was actually thinking about the other day. I think June was when we did it in June. So yeah, I'm down. If you want to do it, I'm down. I'm down. I'm down to do it again. I'm definitely a bit fatter than I was back when we finished that challenge, so I've got some work to do.
0: Yeah, well, okay. Look, so here's the deal, right? Like, I've been, I, I have succumbed to the allure of MMs. I went, oh. I went yesterday to buy new pants, and mm-hmm. I don't know how much of this is aging. A lot, a lot of people say, like, look, dude, sometimes it's just about getting older, and you can't maintain that 32 waist that you had. For so many years and i gave up the 32 waist because i've been rocking the old 34s for a little bit and now we're possibly they don't make 35 so we've got to sort of six dude i know and that to me like when i was in college i was like 36 i'm like what is wrong with me and now i have i've i don't know if i've just been neglecting it, it's all diet dude i'm fully aware it's all diet but i can't get away from the allure of midnight M and M's, they're they're the best.
1: You're talking to a man who used to be 90 pounds heavier than I currently am, so I understand. I is, understand that. Is it
0: just? Is it? Listen, look. I need, and you work out like a like a dynamo. Like there's, I had posted a picture of you in your rugby days with your flowing Mufasa mane. You look like some kind of tribal elder. It was amazing, but. Was it all, is it all diet? Is it cardio? Like this isn't a fitness podcast by any means, but mm. man, like, like how did you just shed those 90? I
1: would say 90 to 95% diet. <laughs> I mean, cardio doesn't do shit. If anybody, like, I mean, the thing is, is like if you actually do cardio, it's generally, it's pretty terrible. And it's a horrible bang for your buck. Um, diet is by far the most important. I, I think that they usually break it down 70, 30, but diet And then it's probably weightlifting to be honest because when you when you lift weights um and i'm gonna get a little bro sciency with this effectively uh i think you're tearing those muscle fibers so they rebuild themselves and they do it while you sleep after so you basically like continually have this caloric burn after where cardio is more of a kind of immediate thing and yeah the input to output is just not worth it man if you're if if your goal of doing cardio is to lose weight though but if your goal of doing cardio is to increase your cardiovascular capability and you know it makes you feel good then hell yeah do it but if it's like i'm trying to lose 100 pounds i'm gonna go run i'd probably start somewhere else to be honest
0: all right well let's do this let's do confirm or deny leg day is for losers
1: Mm, leg day is not for losers that's the most important one because those are some of your biggest muscles so they burn the most count. and honestly flake as someone who is uh, has a disproportionately bigger upper body than their lower body and that's for <laughs> all of my lower body by the way um <laughs> you, you want to be doing legs because the worst thing that can happen is like you finally you finally get a bit of muscle mass and you got these little legs and all the all the girls are gonna make fun of you dude
0: yeah chick, chicken legs it's like it's just you look like a beef on toothpicks like at a certain yeah. point right
1: this is the worst part of the uh, like the marathon stuff was my legs got a lot smaller, a lot smaller.
0: I'm just gonna call it out right now. Uber every now and then will rock a stream where he's in the gym and, mm-hmm. and he'll talk to people. And not once has it ever been leg day when I've tuned <laughs> into a stream, not once. He's like, yeah, we're gonna rock this thing here. It's gonna be great. And I'm like, hey Uber, when's uh, is it leg day? No, 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 we did leg day yesterday. Today's a <laughs> different day. I'm like, okay, the absolute liar.
1: You'd think that he'd be more focused on leg day because the the Aussies tend to rock the short shorts, the little booty shorts. Oh, yeah, (laughs) it's a bit more important.
0: And nobody can just flawlessly be deposited in the seventies like an Aussie, and like they'll just walk around. They'll have the fanny pack on, the neon moustache. Oh, yeah, they got it, and they'll they'll even like they'll be like, "What's going on here, mate?" and then. (laughs) They'll just fit right in.
1: I feel like I'm on Arsenal Pass. Is Hayden Dale over here?
0: Uh, I, you know what? I don't practice an Aussie uh, thing, but I I think I've spoken and played enough Overwatch with Uber where <laughs> like it has just completely gelled together now. We're, we're just well, one.
1: Well, does he play Overwatch? Like he casts? Is it just like...
0: Holy shit. I don't <laughs> even know how to properly convey this without tarnishing his reputation. So I will be very careful how I approach this. I like to think that that's my place to vent a lot of my frustration and -hmm. you could ask Tannen, you could ask my buddy house you could ask uber i am like a demon version of who i am he is the (laughs) most he'll and like the beautiful part about it is that it's not like flaming your teammates and talking talking Mm -hmm. shit like amongst your teammates at the other team he'll get it he'll T- he'll bu- he'll put the mouse down he'll go and type a really awesome message to the opponent where somebody will try to do something for him he's like look at this kid look at this kid what is he doing what is he doing here and they'll kill him and he'll go in the chat he's like what are you doing what are you doing you garbage and i'm like <laughs> so god like do they not know who this
1: is and they probably mm-hmm. don't but it's beautiful i'm gonna tell you oceana gamers are some of the most toxic gamers out there for sure
0: uh, is this be. like a, a semi shot at Hayden Dale? Oh no, no, Hayden Dale, not much of a gamer.
1: Let's be real. Hayden Dale's a real person. He likes to uh, go outside, hang out with his his friends and family. Uh, but yeah. a loser. It's
0: and rubbing it in our faces too. Like I saw him post all of his uh, his engagement photos. Like, oh, I'm outside. Ooh, I'm talking to people. Ooh. It's like, okay, whatever, Hayden.
1: He's an astonishingly nor- it's an astonishingly normal person, to be honest.
0: Like. This is somebody where if I if if it came down to it where I'm like I need somebody to hold my most precious item that and when I return in two hours it'll be safe and sound he's the person I would give it to Mm. like he seems like a very sturdy and safe option you know he's like a Volvo you know not flashy it's good enough yeah he's definitely built like (laughs) Volvo I I, I've watched him play uh, Mario Kart he is pretty pretty pathetic at that too can't win them all there hayden all right let's talk about you know i I introduced you as a retired pro and how you're going to be um basically you know the lead analyst on the desk You, you are the guy like you mentioned we had that meeting with scg and one thing that everybody on the on the panel basically agreed on was that when it comes to analysis you're the guy and you you've really turned a lot of heads but talking about prize money getting back into the ring you know you're a busy dude you've got multiple podcasts you've got your your you're dipping your pen in a lot of inkwells here is going back to playing on your radar or are you still quote unquote retired
1: i think the flesh and blood is the game is pretty hard to be honest i think that if you're going to be topping major flesh and blood tournaments you have to be pretty entrenched in the game or be unusually talented i'm definitely not talented um but ah, maybe i could redevote that time i just i just don't see it happening in a game like flesh and blood it's just not that game you can pick up and be fantastic again after not playing it like it's a very challenging game it's very i don't know it's kind of fast paced in terms of like how much better everybody's getting at at such a rate with all these new teams developing across the world like i think to be a person who regularly top eights tournaments and you have to regularly top eight tournaments to make that pro (laughs) journey worth it um i don't know i think you have to be extremely talented or be devoting a immense amount of time neither of which i have so
0: it's is it a time
1: thing is it a motivation thing what does it come down to um i think that everything in life is motivation based not time based right it's priority based (laughs) so uh yeah I i don't think i have the motivation to let other things fall by the wayside in order to devote more time to trying to top eight Flesh and Blood tournaments. And at the same time, if I did that, here's a little thing about competitive Flesh and Blood, you still might not be able to top those tournaments. And oh, yeah. yeah, that's that's pretty tough. I think to be playing Flesh and Blood at the highest level right now, you have to have a genuine uh, love for the game and love for competing, which I do have. Uh, but the opportunity to cast those tournaments and still be attending them, still be hanging out with those people, uh, still be you know, in the venue... It just, it's too good of a deal, I think. I think it's too good of a deal, Flake.
0: What's scary about, you know, like my, I I love this game so much, but for me, when I was loading up to go play in, what were they, ProQuests or whatever it Mm was, I played from December through till like the first ProQuest season, like in February, I think it was, I played three to four hours a day religiously Mm -hmm. and just crushed, I think I put it, excuse me, maybe like a 100 a hundred oldham games before i sat down and actually played a game that mattered or the game that counted you know and what's interesting is that i've noticed now that i'm not competing i don't have that same urge and if if somebody came up to me and said hey dude there's a calling in like three weeks and Mm -hmm. you're gonna play in it i would immediately those fires would reignite but I've never had that, and it's it's a weird thing. It's like ta- it's like tasting something you've never tasted, and then craving it later on, you know. But it's mm. not readily available. The worst mm. thing that could happen. It's like there's a Louis C.K. bit where he's talking about duck specifics i'm not going to mention what part of the duck but he, he mentioned how he went by like the, like some very exotic market and found this duck thing and he's like i don't want to taste it what if i like it and i'm and i just can't get enough of it and then i never get it again you know so that's kind of the feeling here and uh, it it's do, do you do you find or do you feel like there's a lot of players out there that are struggling more with their motivation to play like have you seen that have you heard of this this sentiment out there?
1: Honestly, I think the the biggest contributor to uh, players winning and not winning flesh and blood tournaments right now is actually talent because I think that the game is so much harder than it used to be. I I don't I think that you actually have to be a little bit special to, to be winning these kind of tournaments. So that's why you see the same players topping over and over and over again. Um, you can sort of mitigate that lack of talent or just sort of natural gift by surrounding yourself with other good players and other teams. Um, That's how I attribute any success that I ever had to that. But I think that, yeah, like right now, it's harder than ever was. I really don't think it's a motivation thing. I think just the game is very, very skill intensive. So we're starting to see like the ability for just like an everyday Joe to go out and win a pro tour or go out and, you know, even win a calling. That just becomes more and more unlikely especially as these dedicated testing teams really gear up and sort of hunker down to target these high level tier four events
0: i think the days of those like you said those like ran like those average joes or those average Judys just going out there and winning a tournament like you said are over because i think that in that first year or two where you're establishing who the those names are and now it seems like we it's just it's a record on repeat it's like all right mm-hmm. it's brody it's michael it's uh, you know, it's it's X Y Z. It's these are the players that you know. There's like really twenty players out there who have a chance to top eight, so to speak. Yeah,
1: it's the best. It's it's good and bad, right? Uh, it's good because if you're going to sink your time into a game, um, Flesh and Blood is one of the best ones you can because the output is so. <sighs> I don't know, related to the input, like whatever you put into it, um, you're going to reap the rewards where I think with like a higher variance game, you might not, you might put in a lot of work and then just get a bit, a little bit unlucky sometimes. Obviously over like a larger sample size, you know, on those kind of games, you still, you can eventually win, but you could also be Tan and Grace and just get second every single time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that flesh and blood, like if you're going to try to devote yourself to something that you don't want to be a waste of time, you don't want to be the sunk cost of, you know, your valuable time flesh and blood is one of the best things because you really will reap the rewards of hard work with it but like i said at this point it does seem like you you do need a little bit of something special on top of that
0: so moving into the meta now for for pro tour it seems to me like it's 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 been such a short period of time but it feels Mm -hmm. like things have kind of finally sort of bubbled up to the surface where there is this big baddie that is essentially Azalea. Azalea mm-hmm. is going to be uh, you know, the the number one target that people are either playing or working to beat or play around. Yeah. Do you do you feel like the meta is more wide open than what it might seem, where right now it's Azalea, what beats Azalea and what beats that? Like are we in in fully entrenched in this triangular kind of Mm-hmm. Again, a new triangle of doom, or is it much more wide open than that?
1: So a few things on that. I think it's the most wide open meta we've ever had for tier four event. Um, I'm assuming I, I believe these are tier four events and not tier three. I always forget about the little pyramid. Anyway, I think it's the most wide open class or most open class construction that I've ever had. I don't think Azalea is actually the big bad. I think that, that Azalea is a red herring. And it's actually old him is by far the best deck. It has the best matchup spread. It's the strongest deck. And it's just the most fundamentally powerful. Um, I think that Azalea has had like some signaling from these regional tournaments that we had in the United States. But like if we look at the sample size of events that you have to sort of try to extrapolate and predict the meta for the Pro Tour, it's actually really bad like we usually before these tournaments we've had so much more data to go off of this you just have a top a from like whatever the the brawl and it's like all these different heroes and there's an Azalea Azalea sort of final and I think that Azalea is a really good deck and I think that will be it will show up quite a bit um, at the pro tour. But I think it's going to just show up as the archetypical like linear aggro deck, and will replace some of what used to be Phi and Briar. I still think there will be some Briar that shows up, but you know Azalea sort of fits that role as this like linear aggro deck, but has an additional disruptive element. It's quite good against things like Icelander. It has a lot of like you know Arsenal sort of interaction. So I still think that Oldham is to be the most played deck i think it's the best deck and i think that that is 100 percent the deck to beat right now i'm looking at like old him azalea and then i don't really believe in this deck but if you look Iceland are definitely third by the way but the fourth deck is one that i don't believe in but you if you if you look at past results there was some. there was a tournament on the west coast there's a lot of jermai and jermai is like a reasonable seems like a somewhat reasonable pick into this into this upcoming tournament so Honestly, those are the four decks I have my eye on as like top play decks with Jermai kind of being interchangeable with like quite a few other sort of tier two-ish decks. But top three, old Oldham, <laughs> probably Azalea, Icelander. Are we falling back into that whole thing where
0: Him will always just be the safest hero? Like it, it seems to me like it's it it's just mm-hmm. the it's the 50 it's like a at minimum 50s against most things and prism's not a a problem anymore dromai might be but even then like you need to be a a very seasoned dromai player with a plan to beat an oldham that is packing some disruption
1: there's a lot of reasons to not bring oldham to this tournament um i think one of the main reasons being is like if you are if you're coming to the same conclusions that i am through testing that oldham is the best deck if you're a new oldham player or you just don't think you're a world-class oldham player uh you're likely going to face a lot of mirrors. And from what I understand, those mirrors can be pretty skill intensive. So you could bring a different deck just on the basis of not wanting to play long grindy old him mirrors the entire time maybe something you're not confident in but also you could try to target old him and the issue with like of course targeting a deck like old him is that it's so dynamic in terms of what it might show up with right it might be the tempo sort of two for two for eight two for ten kind of deck or it might be the fatigue old him and that also doubles as what's hard to what's hard about playing it's old him is how do you pre-board Right, it can be a wildly different strategy that you're facing, uh, but yeah, you can play the deck that beats old him, but then you also have to be able to definitely beat Azalea and at least have a game plan for Icelander. It's really tough to do that in this meta.
0: It is tough because you know the way that traditionally you'd beat um, Icelander, at least in you know a couple months ago, was the fact that you run Warhorn, you just blow blow them out in late game while they're struggling to find them back with like a, a remembrance or something, that's when you start laying the beat down. It's a, But again, it always happens to be Oldham is fighting the clock in most of the those matchups, and that would probably scare a lot of people off of playing the hero if they're pivoting to it because, it, like you said, those mirror matchups are absolutely just so piss poor to watch. They're freaking agonizing to play, and it is incredibly skill-intensive. And if you bring one piece of equipment that is just incorrect it's it the inevitability is already there it's just mm. all right i'm gonna beat you but it'll be in the 48th minute you know it's like really annoying in that regard
1: yeah i mean i i think that my main the my main thesis for not bringing ultimate to a tournament like this would be that i don't want to lose in mirror so if i don't feel confident enough in the mirror then i wouldn't bring the deck because I, I would assume that other people would find that you know Potentially through their testing process, they would come to the same conclusions it's the best deck. And then I don't just want to play these mirrors that I feel like I'm going to lose. Um, but yeah, right now it's a it's a very dynamic meta. There's almost no data to go off of, and it's hard to predict what the top most represented decks will be. And I think that if there is going to be a deck that sort of blows the meta open or is is, you know, a surprising sort of uh surprising deck that shows up at the tournament. This is the this is the tournament for that because, you know, we just haven't, outsiders hasn't settled yet. It hasn't. Um, There's been some small regional tournaments, and that's it. And we really haven't seen that prior to a a major event like the Pro Tour or the World Championships before.
0: All right, let's move on here to part of what the Pro Tour is going to be, which is the draft element, which is (laughs) um, from what we can confirm, it's going to be the tournament's going to open with four rounds of CC and then end in a draft for day one. And then we open day two with another three rounds of draft. Draft is a very crucial element to this we've seen players kind of flame out uh in previous pro tours or worlds Mm -hmm. because they just were not prepared or they just gave little credence to the fact that draft matters that said there is a, a big stinking elephant in the room regarding the print runs of the cards is that the Belgium and the Japanese print runs have different distributions. That's where we hear a lot of the stories of, well, my one pack had three rares, one pack had one, the seedings of certain class cards are different, and players, uh, pro players, are out there asking actively which print run is it going to be, which is such an outlandish thing to think about where you have to factor that in, but it's relevant in this regard. And LSS released a statement basically saying, uh, we have found a solution to this we know that it's a concern. We have we will not be sharing what this solution is. What are your thoughts on
1: that? Mm-hmm. So I thought the announcement, well, let's start off with first. If you are someone that's looking to participate in the Pro Tour or the World Championships, as a player, you basically, you adapt to whatever rule set is put forth. Um, ideally, they give you a, enough of a time sort of, uh, they give you enough time before the tournament to actually sort of, you know, take in whatever the rules are going to be or whatever the bans, the cars available, and you're able to actually adequately prepare. So I think that no matter what the pack distribution is or no matter if it's known or it's not known, the main, the most important thing is that they set a precedent and that the players are able to incorporate that into their testing and then adapt. Because fundamentally, that's what it is. You know, we had a pro tour, uh, pro tour number one, where there was like some bannings before. You just have to adapt as a player. The announcement itself... I felt like it was uh, it was definitely very blunt, and I think it was a bit a bit sort of condescending towards you know their act this actually being like a major issue in terms of draft strategy for the pro tour because it is right it, it isn't it isn't at post announcement and post solution but not acknowledging that players having to decide between the two is like is it going to be Belgian is it going to be Japanese like that was a major issue and I felt like you know they kind of addressed it but then they did and then they're like we have a solution. Nah, 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 you'll be fine. <laughs> so it's like anybody who thinks that drafting at a at the Pro Tour and at the World Championships and they think that pack, knowing pack collation and knowing the distribution of a pack is not an advantage, I mean, you're just wrong. It is. Uh, you can choose to uh, use that advantage or to not. Totally up to you as a player, but it is an advantage fundamentally. Maybe some of the best drafters in the world don't use it, but I would argue that it is an objective Advantage, and that if you have the mental resources to be able to employ that while drafting, it's only going to benefit you. It isn't going to be negative. There is no downside to it. So, collation is important um, with the new solution. I think that it's totally fine to be honest because it's going to be unknown. Players will just adapt to that, um, and they just won't be, you know, expecting whatever's printed on the box in terms of distribution. Yeah. What I will say, what I just want to say, one thing that is, um, you know, some people say that this is. Uh, Less like it is more friendly to players in terms of like it being fair. They say that like pack collation and people knowing the packs is somewhat, I don't know, advantageous to players who put that time in, and because of that, it's like somewhat not fair. I saw this take on Twitter. I think it's dog water because this is actually more advantageous for the players who are going to put the work in, and more more of an advantage to be exploited by teams because what teams are going to do is they're going to remember their packs on day 1 as much as they can then they're going to aggregate that information and try to predict for day 2. Will they be successful? I don't know. But I do think that teams and groups of people will be have a larger advantage than the individual at this particular Pro Tour for the draft portion. Whether it will actually pay off in a tangible benefit, I don't know, but I think that the potential advantage is significantly greater with this system than it was in the previous.
0: So for those who aren't aware, basically the, the coalition issue is that the, there's the Japanese print and the Belgian print, like I mentioned earlier, has different distribution of where the cards are and such. And what where that matters is if that, if you are wanting to signal to the person on your left that, hey, I've got Ninja, layoff ninja it's not to your advantage so that that kind of information picking that card passing the pack uh, another prepared player will be able to identify that look at the pack and say okay well we're missing one common ninja card or one rare uh you know or or whatnot but the 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 ninja the ninja common is gone so i know that they're on ninja but Mm -hmm. in different print runs there might be three ninja cards or there might be one ninja card. So you pass the pack and it's you are unable to know what, what was selected. Now, I'm really curious about who said this take. You don't have to say it, obviously. Don't say it. But ultimately, the, the whole aspect, what was the take that you said was dog water? I just want to hear this again.
1: So the person was basically stating that this would be more fair uh, to like the average player. Because, like, basically because pack collation is somewhat of a, it's, oh. you're employing a level of, uh, you're, I don't know, I guess you're employing part, a level of strategy that isn't actually like playing Flesh and Blood, right? You're taking the product sort of split of cards and now incorporating that into draft, which it is a somewhat of a separate thing, but you take it and you use that in advance. And they said that this new system will be better because nobody knows, right? And you're right. If you don't actually think about it, I think, I mean, in my opinion, right? If you actually think about it, it's like, okay, day one, everybody who's on my team, you know, let's say I'm in the wolf pack. And my team is a hundred people big. You know, we all fit, we all try to remember, you know, how many of this class card, how many of that class card are we even split? You know, what are the rares look like? What does the equipment split look like? You know, try to remember as much as possible, come together at the end of the night, aggregate that data. And on day two, go in and, to, and try knowing the pack better than the average player. I don't think that's a problem, but I just think that, you know, this take that like, this is somehow more fair or better for just like the random dude who shows up to the pro tour by himself. I don't think so.
0: Well, okay. So I had a whole episode about how flesh and blood is a team based game now. And Mm. people, I had people say like, Oh really? Is it because I'm pretty sure it's one person playing. against one person. And I was like, okay, uh, doofus like i get the, the the point of it but it's yeah. like where do you draw the line on this because that, I, that kind of logic is something along the lines of like well i mean it's fair if everybody got an eight hours of sleep the night before but you know like the person who goes out like yeah. me at a call like before a battle hardened and got completely you know, smashed at a casino in Philadelphia with Tommy Fresh and Nick Bolas. Like, that totally ruined my next day. So, like, are we just going to equalize that and say everybody has to be in bed by, you know, 11 p.m.? Like, it just seems interesting where there's an actual active outcry or or support of this, you know, being secret Mm -hmm. because it evens the playing field for the people who are unable to prepare adequately. Yeah,
1: Yeah, which is... Obviously, you've pointed out how asinine the, the original argument is, but I think that my core issue with it is that this system is actually more favorable to teams, which is fine. Yeah, well, of course it that, is. But I think people should just understand that as like fundamental. And I wanted to quickly, since you mentioned pack collation, I want to give the audience like an example that is should make sense in recent memory. You're at Uprising Draft. You're at the World Championships. You open your pack one, pick one, you pick whatever. Pack two, right? There is a... Spellfire Cloak in there and there's no ninja common. What do you think the person to your right is doing at the World Championships of Uprising Draft? They're forcing ninja. (laughs) That's that's what that signal is. At least 95 plus percent of the time. And that's a huge freaking deal. You're talking Pick two, pack one, you now have a very good idea of what your opponent's in because Spellfire Cloak is almost objectively better than any ninja common in a vacuum. But a lot of people at that tournament were forcing ninja. So obviously that's not going to hold 100% of the time for that core example, but I think you could be reasonably certain and be sort of at least now more aware that the person to your right is maybe forcing ninja from pick one. It was very... I think pack collation was really important um, in... An uprising, in particular.
0: So, in this case, then let me ask you this: um, as I try to g- regain my my train of thought here, basically, it was that how, like, how, like how can you adequately police anything where whether it's you on a team that's established like kayfabe cards or like you know any of the other teams that are out there, or you talking to somebody that you know, that's from your LGS that you go to the same thing and you just share information like, Oh, my pack had this and my pack had that. Like, I, I, how do you police? You the, don't. You, I well, mean, that's what the, I'm saying.
1: Yeah. The, the tournament is not meant to be hundred percent fair. Nothing actually is right. It's just fair as humanly possible. Um, people get unfair advantages all the time, but the only difference is like, you have an equal opportunity to get that unfair advantage. You just, whether you've chosen not to, or it's just not available to you, um, you don't have it. And that, that's just how it is you just have to adapt and figure it out but yeah teams have an advantage in flesh and blood like you said I also agree it's a team it's a sort of a team sport at this point there's no major player that works completely alone right now that I'm aware of at least
0: yeah that well that's totally I'm like everybody that's in a top eight you can possibly you can probably just go ahead point at any one of them and says this the this is three to f- to eight people that they practice with regularly I know that the Toronto crew at Harry tarantula are already like 20 drafts deep. Of, mm-hmm. of practice and that's just the that's what you know there's a lot of concern about what's the print run we want to know because again the correlation or sorry the 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 aggregation of data uh to to form a more educated guess as to what's going on at, at any given moment it's important but uh, are you satisfied with with the solution of mm-hmm. everything is kind of right now even Stephen yeah. because or or are you the type where You know, is there a world where LSS is better served to say like, this is what we did so you can continue to prepare this way?
1: I think that I'm satisfied with the solution, to be honest. I think that the tone of the article was a bit off and a bit incongruent. But outside of that, I think it's a totally fine solution. They could have also just said, hey, it's Belgian print run. But like they said in the article, it might be be prohibitive to people in specific regions. Um, So I think that this is a fine solution. I just think that people should understand that you know, I do believe that you will be able to gain a tangible advantage by aggregating information based off the day one draft to try to predict day two draft. That's it. Could be wrong, but I think that'll be a fact. Well, there's an extra skill set that I don't have. <laughs> Could sure. be wrong, but I think that'll be a fact. Sorry, I just realized how dumb that statement was. But that's,
0: a, that's, that's a bumper sticker and a t-shirt put together. I would. Have, Brendan Patrick says, I may be wrong, but that's a fact.
1: <laughs> that's a fact.
0: <laughs> that is, that's a Great, great tagline right there. All right, perfect. Uh we'll just slam that one on a t-shirt and bring that one. Uh okay. Uh let's uh let's move past the the draft portion and talk about flesh and blood more so from the global perspective, the economic mm-hmm. perspective. There's been a lot of chatter, a lot of talk, uh justifiably, I mean to a degree, uh, that flesh and blood has essentially creeped into the quote unquote big four. Now there's the big mm-hmm. three. Yu-Gi-Oh, pokemon magic those are absolute titans of the industry of the genre a lot of uh, you know i've seen videos like red zone rogue there's been articles on icv2 a lot of other articles that are are basically hyping up flesh and blood as saying hey like this is our like for, for example card market said that flesh and blood was the fastest growing game of 2022 i believe that mm-hmm. i absolutely believe mm-hmm. that uh but to group it up and say hey We've got a big four now. You know, why weren't we talking about the big four when Digimon was there? Like, you know, like that's that's kind of the conversation I want to sort of get into here is does fab deserve to be a quote unquote big four? I understand that the data supports it, but I mean, if you dig even deeper, the the, it's like saying, all right, these are the top three car makers and the fourth car maker is a scooter. You know, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, you say the data supports it, but you're right. Like, what does the data actually say? How far behind and are they? Because it could be by a large margin. Does Fab deserve it? I think they're on track. You know, I think that Flesh and Blood has done a lot of things right. I think that they may have, you know, they've done a few things wrong as we've creeped into like a bit more maturity with the game as the game has aged a bit and it's felt the stress of scale, right? Being an international, internationally successful game, I think it's put a lot of stress on the developers, um, on the publisher so far. And we've seen some cracks sort of start to emerge. But overall, I think the game is a massive success. And I think that it's, you know, flesh and blood being a top four is one of the best things that can happen to the trading card game industry. I think sort of bar none, right? Because it shows proof of concept that respecting your community, having organized play and actually sort of investing in your games. I don't know. I would say future is important, right? Like short-term cash grabs are not all that matter. And, you know, I guess I just look to like what the top three does and I think that flesh and blood does it a lot differently and I think that's a lot better. And as we sort of come into this TCG renaissance, I would like Flesh and Blood strategy to be the correct one, right? I would like Flesh and Blood to be more successful than a Magic the Gathering because we might see those other games like Magic, like Yu-Gi-Oh, like Pokemon follow suit in what flesh and blood has done and reigniting this organized play and reigniting what it means to actually respect your customer and sort of like give back and yeah i would like to see that
0: i think that's already materializing because magic has sort of revamped their their pro tour or their Mm. you know their like major uh, events like on paper in person and that has been significant and that's after cutting it like flesh and blood said all right you're cutting it We've we're coming in. We're investing money. We're putting on the show. And it was a huge success. And it maybe just sort of poked and prod the others and saying this is something that we need to maybe revisit because it does show value. And yeah, it's a it's kind of a cash sink to a degree where it's like tossing money into a void, you know, LSS, Wizards, whatever. Are not putting on these massive events because they're churning out profit. They're putting mm-hmm. on these massive events because it's part of the marketing strategy, it's part of the establishment of the game within, you know, uh everybody's kind of view of what TCG landscape is. You know, like flesh and blood, maybe a year or two ago, was never part of the average card player's lexicon. Lately, mm-hmm. it's just this is it. This is what it's part of. And this is where I can entertain the thought of flesh and blood being part of a quote unquote big four, but it was never a big four prior to this. And this is, again, I'm playing devil's advocate on this. This is a conversation I have. I I can agree with flesh and blood being within the conversation, but what I need people to understand is, you know, Digimon was there, I think, prior to this. One piece is making one hell of a move Mm -hmm. on that entire number four spot. But prior to flesh and blood rising up to number four there was never a talk about a quote-unquote big four and i don't think Mm -hmm. flesh and blood is doing that much better than what digimon did when it came out and started sort of uh hitting the ground running it's definitely Mm -hmm. better but it's it's not leagues ahead of it
1: well yeah i mean there's also a reason why we usually and big threes and not big fours is like there is this I don't know if it's an economic theory, but there, there's basically a theory that almost that most major niches have room for three major players. So you think about like Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Grubhub, DoorDash, Streets. Um, yeah. like all of these things, it's like always three. And people use that as a like sort of a market entrance strategy It's like they're even if someone is almost monopolistically dominating a market, they will come in and try to get a piece of that Uh Based off this sort of like the rule of three or whatever, so I think that's why in TCGs we do talk about big three. Uh, so big four, you know, might big four and might not be a thing. It might just be big three and Fab beats Yu Gi Oh or beats Pokemon whenever that happens. Um, I hope it does. I do think that I'm I'm particularly interested in terms of like you, you mentioned One Piece, but I'm really interested to see what how Lorcana does when Lorcana launches because the IP is so strong, um, and whatever they choose to do with sort of their uh their their entry strategy into the market their organized play etc but i think if we're looking for like a potential new big three within the next one to two years i mean lakana is really the one that i have my eye on right now I, I that's not to speak towards the game or anything like that i just think that Ravensburger with the disney ip it's going to be a big player if, if if they've devoted sort of the resources to trying to become that and not just trying to be a you know yeah glamorized board game or something so this is
0: the other element i want to get to was the introduction of Lorcana, uh which is coming out in in august we'll, we'll dig into that real uh in a, in a moment but i also want people to understand that flesh and blood also on the other side of the argument is that flesh and blood doesn't have any presence in places like target walmart big box stores that kind of stuff so when we're looking at the production of cards and sales as a metric to gauge the success and such. I think that it's best to actually look at more of a LGS distribution and what LGSs are selling, because a lot of the sales, like Walmart's gonna buy a crap ton of this stuff, Target's gonna buy a crap ton of this stuff, it's gonna sit on a shelf, people are not gonna pick it up and pay MSRP, maybe more, maybe less, who knows. Ultimately though, it's just it's a market that Flesh and Blood has actively chosen to not be a part of Mm -hmm. but to give an idea of the absolute like monstrosity that is pokemon for example pokemon already has probably the most powerful and global and and just significant ip in the world um in asia in in europe in north america pokemon is the the strongest ip that's that's currently going in in the card game industry until <laughs> Lorcana, but if you want to get an idea of how many Pokemon cards are in existence in circulation, there are about I think I, I did the research on this. They estimated about forty two billion Pokemon cards are in, mm-hmm. have been printed to date, and they upped production last year by twenty seven percent, where they're going to be puff, uh, pushing out over nine billion printed cards next year so they're not slowing down they're mm. ramping up which is huge and where would you like how many cards do you think flesh and blood has out out, uh, out in the wild it's nowhere close
1: to that no idea it's a lot of dead trees though right there yeah that's um, sad to see. i mean you know pokemon's big like big in the mark because if you've ever ridden in an uber towards one of these events you know and you've had that conversation where it's like what are you gonna play cards was so it pokers like, mm. no nah, it's like oh it's like pokemon you're like sure it's like Pokemon. This <laughs> is like the great the great equalizer. It's like, it's like Pokemon, um, but not at all. Yeah, I have no idea, to be honest. I think that Flesh and Blood is a lot smaller than people think, though, um, most likely. I think that it is very big in our minds because of the organized play program and the amazing th- things that they're doing. But in terms of market representations, probably quite small.
0: It's definitely smaller than everyone thinks. And a lot of that is probably because y- you always have... You know it's it's like the same reason why my mom thinks I'm the most handsome kid in school. You know, mm-hmm. it's because but you might I be the most handsome. Kid I in but, listen, I'm
1: not gonna you say You were I'm homeschooled, not. but you were the most handsome kid <laughs> in
0: school. <laughs> yeah, screw you, dad. Yeah. <laughs> um so that said, Lorcana's kind of lurking out in the periphery and I think that there's going to be a rude awakening for flesh and blood um, you know, stands who eventually see this just ramp up the charts and flesh and blood fall to five or six or wherever it falls because there's there one piece is super successful is coming and lurk the only in my opinion the only ip that can rival pokemon is disney and mm. and i think that they're actually targeting the same they're targeting they have the same strategy it's we want to appeal to the players and we want to appeal to the kids who just want to collect the cards and put them in binders and, and trade them. So you have everything there. It has nothing to do about their organized play or whatever. We're looking at sales and that's where the growth quote unquote of the game and what shot flesh and blood up um, the charts was its growth. And I think that's phenomenal. That's a great thing, but people need to also come to terms with the fact that flesh and blood is still years away from having their IP in the same league of even I'm going to talk about sort of some fringe IPs like Witcher IP or um, things like that, which have much greater followings than mm. the world of Ring. <clears throat>
1: yeah, I don't, I honestly don't know if Lorcana will actually be successful. I do think that it will, it will sell uh, initially. And I think that the strength, like IP, is actually a lot stronger than I give it credit for initially. Um, looking at the Lorcana rules, which just came out, by the way. Um, I was having a conversation with Sasha and we asked ourselves, would you play this game if it wasn't Disney? No, I wouldn't because it doesn't do anything new. It's, it's playing it very safe. Um, it basically takes a few concepts from a, a few different games and then it, it literally modern, modernizes nothing and actually moves backwards in a lot, in a lot of ways. So it's completely asynchronous turns, your turn, I sit there, do nothing my turn it has damage counters which are persistent it has no board space limitations so it can be very clustered i'm assuming and like there, the interaction is is minimal does that make it a shallow game though no it just makes it a simple game i think some of the most simple games in the, that have ever been created have been some of the most competitive and deep games so it really comes down to card balance in my opinion of whether that game is actually going to survive fast like it's first set, but on the surface, dude, that game is super bare bones. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be bad. Um, it really just comes down to the balance and how the game system functions and that push and pull players, right? larkana is definitely going to be a game of push and pull, right? Cause there's this trade-off of every time you cash in your resource to try to progress your winning condition, your opponent can effectively remove that resource or that what you use to progress that win condition off the board. So there's like whoever goes first is like there's this game of chicken. And like that tension is enough to make a game very interesting. You know, the different ways you present that tension. Uh but yeah, outside of that, larkana I have no idea whether it's gonna be successful, but I think that Disney is a super super powerful ip and it's powerful enough that i think that the first set will sell out
0: so are you do you think that you know flesh and blood i, I believe it so far in 2023 you know uh, it, it, it i feel like it, it kind of hit its zenith towards the middle of 2022 mm-hmm. and moving into worlds and it was kind of a little bit of a, a tapering off afterwards dynasty mm-hmm. Didn't really ruffle any feathers. It was just yep. kind of like a treat. It says, here, you guys have this for Christmas while we all go on vacation, and then we're going to hit you with the real stuff with um, with mm-hmm. outsiders later. But do you feel like Flesh and Blood is still in a, um, a, a fairly significant growth spurt? Has it tapered off, or is it in decline?
1: I don't know, because it's probably more of a quantitative thing that I just don't have access to those numbers. But I do think that Flesh and Blood is out of its honeymoon. And people are no longer going to just praise it um, without critique. I think that nowadays, you know, if they do make a mistake, it does, it does really, I, I don't know, at least it comes under fire. We saw that with Dynasty. Dynasty releasing after the World Championship, also being delayed, not being live at the World Championship, et cetera. The set was, I don't know, it just kind of did nothing, right? And no one was really <laughs> particularly interested in it. And I hate to say that, but. It was sort of it was sort of a really weird release, and I think that Outsiders was. I felt like there was a lot riding on Outsiders. I felt like Outsiders had to hit, you know, had to make a splash at least in some of the metas and be an interesting set to draft. I felt like it was really important for Flesh and Blood. So I do think that you're right that it's hit a zenith. I think that's out of its honeymoon phase. That's kind of what I would say. Um, and I think now they have to actually, you know, they have to be very focused on executing and. I don't know. Being successful, I don't think that they're just gonna. People are just gonna give them as give them as much space as they did before in terms of mistakes and stuff like that. Like they're gonna be critiqued as if they're a top three.
0: I think you can be both a realist and an optimist together. I think that you can firmly understand the reality of a situation while being optimistic for positive outcomes and and whatnot. And that's my approach right now to flesh and blood. Is that I am well aware that the sparkle of it has essentially eroded and we're at a point now where we're just left with like you said honeymoon phase is over i'm on the couch with my girlfriend of x amount of years and we're watching Mm. reruns of seinfeld like am i happy or am i not happy and i feel like i'm definitely happy i'm very much happy with the game it's 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 just this realization where i think a lot of people need to understand that just because the game is not in everybody's on the tip of everybody's tongue, it's not in the spotlight. Um, you know, you had your day in the sun when it was the hottest thing around, but now you've got these other card games that are coming out that are attracting players from this game that were so devoted to flesh and blood. And it's not like they're saying, hey, flesh and blood now sucks. They're just saying, I this is something new to me. And I wonder how much of that is, like you said, an end of a honeymoon phase where some of the, you know, the The blemishes are now visible. The makeup's kind of worn off, and how much of it is just, um, you know, a a the consequence of of this period of of time where, from worlds to outsiders, was this dead zone where the the content drop was less than stellar.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that you know, flesh and blood, in terms of content, it is. It is pretty sparse <laughs> in terms of like you know what we get over the course of a year. Uh I mean, look at 2022. I think that was one draftable set for the entire year. Yeah. Um I do think the flesh and blood is just fundamentally a really good game. Um, but you know, a game being new is is a significant factor to me being interested in, to be honest. Cause like I said, lorcana I read the rules and it had, you know, and it said battle spirits two or something i don't i just wouldn't play it because it doesn't look particularly interesting to me i might try it once because it's new uh but with the ip and everybody else playing it i'm definitely going to give it a shot uh for flesh and blood i think nowadays it's like if, if flesh and blood had zero organized play would i play the game probably no i might play it every now and then when a new set came out but i wouldn't play it like religiously and i probably wouldn't talk about it every single week so for me and i know i'm a massive outlier in terms of like a card gamer the organized play program really is really the backbone of flesh and blood for me
0: i feel like that way sometimes where i'm like why the hell am i playing hearthstone like i play it a a few times a day just to Mm -hmm. sort of do my dailies and just progress but i feel like if there was some sort of play system or some organized play system where like there's qualifiers and stuff like that that i can easily access i'd be a little bit more inclined to give a shit about it uh but like you mentioned you know it's like flesh and blood part of that is just does this satisfy my competitive my competitive verge because the game might be good but if i don't if i don't scratch that particular itch i need to find that satisfaction elsewhere and if i'm going to find that satisfaction elsewhere i got to also invest time to be successful at it to be able to scratch that itch. So yeah. I think Flush and Bud sort of ticks a lot of boxes for everybody. And to a degree, do you feel like there's some kind of feeling that people are pot committed to it now because they've invested so much? Like what for example, what stops someone like Michael Hamilton from saying, you know what? Let's let's go and just redefine One Piece. Why not?
1: <laughs> I'd probably money, to be honest. I, I don't know. Like Michael Hamilton. Uh, in particular, if let's assume he could be champion, I think he would just be champion at whichever one probably paid the most and had the most reasonable edge, you know, input to output in terms of like, you know, I put in this kind of work, it pays out with the variance, etc. But uh, yeah, I think that Flesh and Blood is going to enter an era that is increasingly more competitive. We talk about leaving the honeymoon phase, but also I do think that we are going to be, they're going to be in, a, in an ocean full of sharks with, you know, things like Marvel Snap coming out recently, Locana. On, on the horizon in the future and just like dude there's like a million other random tcgs that are coming out that are sort of their own ips like just going to get more competitive and i do wonder if there's <laughs> you know looking at battle spirit saga that you recently held their tournament series it's like is there going to be this like race to the top you know usually race to the bottom a race to the top to just put more and more money up to try to capture this niche audience of card players that are you know want to travel to tournaments because it does look like good for us but it does look like a lot of tournaments are, you know a lot of card games are doing this nowadays like battle spirit saga avril levine twitter twitter promotion but also they're putting up like what a million dollars
0: yeah no nobody's nobody's talking to like avril levine does play cards i hate to break it to everybody like i don't know do, do you know how many people like for example how many people out there have hello fresh like affiliate codes you mm-hmm. think they're ordering boxes after their after their freebies are are over probably not like i hate to tell you everybody like those boxes that were on her patio table where she she didn't even look at the front of them she sat down they took a picture and somebody wrote that tweet for her that was what happened mm. friends she doesn't play yes. cards
1: chad gpt the tweet yeah um <laughs> yeah i would really i would really to meet the PR person that was behind that, because I think that that is a hilarious mistake. <laughs> it's just so bad. Um, really out of touch, but uh, I digress. I'm talking about Battle Spirit Saga, Alvaro Levine.
0: She got, I don't know how, how many eyes. Like, I, and so I um, i speak often with uh, Matt Cosmore, uh, the Cosmic, who is very um, entrenched into Battle Spirit Saga and such. And he mentioned, he's like, look, that this campaign got more eyes on it and more clicks and more views and more you know awareness than many others that other card games have attempted and as outlandish and as weird as it was you know it could have li- you could have literally picked anybody you know mm-hmm. and and slammed it on there you can go get freaking richard karn as you know al borland to say i'm playing i'm playing disney larkana Send tweet. That would probably get the most ridiculous amount of retweets because it doesn't. It, there's like, what's the connection here? You know.
1: I, I think there's nuance, though. I think that uh, like not all. I think that like not all views and clicks are created equal. And I think that the Avril Lavigne thing actually had a, a negative impact because honestly, it makes Battle Spirit Saga look like a scam. Like it. Honestly, when I saw the Avril Lavigne tweet, I was like, oh, Battle Spirit Saga is doing an NFT because it's just some random celebrity tweeting out that doesn't know shit about the game. And like that is not normal, and it just makes the game look like it's a cash grab or something. It's super bizarre. So I think that anybody that would look at that article or look at that post, it's probably overwhelmingly negative. I really wasn't sure about the card templating or all those little pieces of whatever the hell you use when you play the game, but the Avril Lavigne tweet, that sold me. No, well i don't think that person exists
0: uh it, you don't think avril levine exists
1: <laughs> no i don't think the person exists that, <laughs> that 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 thought pattern was like i was unsure but then
0: no she's canadian uh, royalty damn it
1: <laughs> is she really well, than, more than nickelback
0: well she married the dude from nickelback
1: right <laughs> that's fucking hilarious yeah
0: they were married for a while She was like my high school crush, dude. Like, that's why part of me wanted her to be into cards because I'm like, maybe this is my inn. Maybe Mm -hmm. this is my inn. Like, Avril Lavigne, hello. I, you know, I drive past your town when I go, like, drive to Montreal, you know, a few times a year. She's from Napanee, Ontario. It's like a two hour drive from me. I'll come Mm -hmm. pick you up. We'll go play some Battle Spirit Saga because apparently you're part of it. But look, again, at the end of the day, I think the mantra is there's no, any, any press is good press. And I think that's, that's what it is. But I had this conversation. Um, who was it with? I think it was with the boys from flesh and pot or whatever, either way, just, or it was, it was with DM Armada. And I was Mm -hmm. talking about how, you know, there are people who are actively kind of like reaching out to her or trying to tweet at her and be like, you should try this. You should try that. And like, she doesn't play any of this. She, she doesn't look at her Twitter account. Like she's an entity. It's like, it's like, it's like waving at the sun. Like it, doesn't care <laughs> it doesn't it's yeah. gonna go about its business
1: i think people would in, in, in general be surprised about who runs the larger social media accounts across all different social medias instagram twitter OnlyFans. they're all agencies <laughs> yeah or it's andrew tate <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's all done by agencies dude i used to work in <laughs> affiliate uh affiliate marketing so i was just selling products on the internet but we you know like a lot of that blends sort of crosses lines with a lot of like pr agencies and stuff like that um and yeah all those large twitter accounts are all done by these like these just companies basically i think that the mission that they put out
0: was successful because people are talking about it and i think that's what the important element is but the question is is also like you mentioned with just jamming out a massive massive prize pool to attract players which is which has happened because there's a flesh and
1: blood did that of course they did ten thousand dollar tournaments nobody knew anything about the game for
0: sure and that'll that's enough to be like oh damn like you know a lot of friends of mine, for instance, like a lot of people from K- team kayfabe are like, I'm going to pick up this game. We're going to learn it and we're going to crush it because even our locals, the promo card that you win for winning one of those tournaments, you can flip for $400, $500. People mm-hmm. want those cards. So even the lowest stakes, the like an armory, imagine imagine going to an armory where the prize is like a, a gold foil. Like yeah. they'd be, that's enough to at least spark interest. And I think that that is the necessary approach right now to spark competitive interest in the game is to just really ramp up, not the Avril Levine tweets, but ramp up the prize pools. Like million dollar is the absolute baseline that you need to present to get anybody interested.
1: Yeah, million dollar is hilarious because I feel like million dollar prize by like the Dota TI, like a long, long, long time ago. I can't remember what year it was. Like they did like the million dollar prize pool. I was like, wow. And nowadays million dollars is like, in card games, it's a lot. But I think in gaming, it's just like the very, like you said, the bare minimum, which sounds ridiculous. But I mean, it's really not nowadays.
0: <laughs> it's not, and there's so many defunct card games that put up a million dollars that don't no longer no longer exist. Like Artifact, uh, Gwent is in their last year of of producing content before they shut down. Yeah, they, they all put up million dollar prize pools to start the thing, and again, lots of fanfare, lots of attention, but ultimately. These games are no longer around because the substance, the actual game itself, was not what people wanted yeah. or enjoyed. Most
1: most important thing by far is that your game has to be has to be good. Like a lot of these games that do offer these prize pool will die pretty quickly as soon as they stop offering them. I I actually don't think Flesh and Blood is one of those games. So I think the game is actually good enough, and I think that the the publisher is like. I don't know, I think that they are they really care about their community and they, they're very intentional with the product that they create. Uh, where when I look at something like, you know, I'm going to get some hate for shitting on Battle Spirit Saga, but it doesn't, you know, it's going to be my use case. That publisher is in a different universe than Legend Story Studios, right? So I think that Flesh and Blood was to stop, you know, lower the organized play program. It would be negative, but I think that the game would still survive because it's so good. So... I like just based off
0: certain conversations I've had with James White of what is going to be happening in Q three, four onward, Mm -hmm. I suspect that the conversation that we're having now about flesh and blood as a top four will be a lot excuse me, will be a lot more supported once that kind of stuff is put out into the ether about and and I am I have a very, and I know that me saying like, oh, to, Flesh and Blood is a top four is is like having three horses and a dog and saying I've got four horses, you know. Yeah. It's like, but people still freaking love dogs, you know. Like it's not to say that it's not a bad thing. It's still great because, you know, there's a whole lot of garbage out there. But Flesh and Blood making those moves, I think. Um, for what was perhaps a fairly turbulent six month period Mm -hmm. after that honeymoon phase outsiders if pro tour pops off and is awesome and if it's a smooth production into everything (laughs) after that i suspect that 2024 that conversation is going to be a lot less uh debate and a lot more okay well what's the gap you know yep so i think that's that's a fair assessment
1: I think moving forward, Legend Story can't afford to drop. Them. I think that you know now that we've exited this this honeymoon phase that we've <laughs> sort of coined the term for, and now that Mar- Snap is this sort of emerging, massively successful card game, Lacana's on the horizon. Like I think it's very important that Legend Story step up and be ready to compete because it's going to be a very competitive environment as we head through twenty twenty three and early twenty
0: twenty four. Well, they've d- they've already shown their their willingness to invest they've shown their willingness to innovate and give people the experience over the you know the bottom line as it were for a lot of these events and i think that if they can just continue to ride that that mentality you'll see that we've already seen evidence of other major card games kind of trying to follow suit for what they've done and emulate or go back to what they used to do Uh, That flesh and blood sort of took over and says, we're going to do this. We're going to do it well, because this is what people want. And I think that that is that that philosophy in general might not might not bring the most dollars profitability wise. But ultimately, in terms of reputation, in terms of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, having a a solidified foothold on a player base, I think that that goes a long way towards longevity and sustained growth
1: yeah i think that you have to invest in that stuff for longevity at this point i think if they just focused strictly on the bottom line that they would just die out like every other new card game that's coming out sounds good brendan patrick you beautician demarco Um,
0: yeah that's me uh i appreciate you doing the show my friend you're always uh you're always welcome i get to see you in a few short weeks which is pretty rad are you doing any of the realm brawl stuff like the realm circuit stuff pittsburgh nice 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 i just got an email from the airline today about my mm. flight home from pittsburgh where it went from uh a noon departure to a 6 a.m departure so that's going to be lovely so i will be out the uh out and about at 3 30 in the morning
1: mm. trying to get well. home in Baltimore, you know I'm gonna be hunting for you in that bathroom. I don't think I caught you at one time.
0: You didn't catch me at Worlds. Do you know where I'm gonna be? Mm-hmm. Uh, early in the morning in freaking Baltimore. I made a promise to Tall Timmy because he's like, oh God, uh, I know I'm good already. Yeah, should I do my other, should I do another Australian uh, I, <laughs> Australian accent?
1: Dude, I might black out and think I'm on an episode last, <laughs> ah, So be careful.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, basically, he told me that he's gonna he's he texted me i asked him okay i texted him and i said dude i just want to start getting a little bit more into exercise and just stuff that i can do at home with like a 15 pound dumbbell and whatever Mm. i've got you know and he sends me this like gigantic fitness manifesto of everything I c- I can do and that I'm worth it and I can do it and I've got it in me and then I agreed because I'm an absolute idiot to join him at the gym at the hotel in Baltimore at 5 in the morning to work out with him and I promised him and I'm a man of my word so I'm going
1: to be there like an idiot. Yep. Uh I think Hayden has been to one of those as well. But uh but the thing is five AM isn't that hard but you know tall Timmy's going to him, gonna be crushing Crossing gimlets till two in the morning the night before he's just an animal. The guy
0: is like I don't know when he sleeps, but I'm pretty sure that he is he's he's like fifty percent man and fifty percent nuclear reactor. Like I don't (laughs) I don't know what the issue is here, but he is also one of the nicest guys uh, in the entire biz. So if you're listening to this, uh, Timmy, I love you, buddy. But yeah brendan patrick you've got your your fingers in many cookie jars buddy so while we sign off and uh, hit the go again segment for our patreon only people hit us with some of those coordinates where we can find you i know you got a lot of projects going on oh dude i just hub it all at, uh, at brendan. that's it
1: <laughs> that's all it's all it's probably all gonna plug is just just the
0: hub at brendan apg that's it just go there that's it that's all all right friends thank you so much for listening to the instant speed podcast to our sponsors at kayfabe cards and go to KfabeCards.com, get all your flesh and blood needs sealed products singles all that jam as well as bcw supplies go to bcwsupplies.com use the code isp10 get 10 percent off all of your purchases forever and always until they tell me to go fly a kite and of course our patrons patrons go to uh patreon.com slash instant speed pod if you'd like to support us Friends, thank you so much for listening. You're not losing it if you're learning. We'll catch you next time on ISP.